Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. On this week's episode, a certain movie is coming out this week, and if you haven't guessed by the title of the episode already, we're talking Bond watches. So get ready and sit back, because it's time for another episode of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. Welcome everybody to episode 88 of the Whiskey and Watches podcast. 88. That works. We got a, a fun topic. That this one, this one kind of came to us last minute. You know, I was I was buying a ticket, well, two tickets today to go see a certain movie that comes out this week that may have already debuted in Europe, um, which is garbage. But um, so trying to avoid spoilers has been fun. But um, yeah, there's a new James Bond movie out. There's some interesting things that have happened between when that watch has debuted. That when the you know we're finally getting the movie to go along with a watch, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. So we're we're gonna stick to that theme uh, a little. But uh, you know, first we'll start off as we usually do. Spangler, what's uh, on the wrist? What's in the glass? Um. Well, you know, funny enough, even before we uh, had thought about doing this episode, I I'm also a pretty big. I wouldn't say as big a fan as you are, Spence, but I definitely enjoy seeing the movies. And since I knew that Bond was coming out this week, I had to throw on one of my uh, Bond natos onto the Tudor, of course, because I feel like that's the uh, most appropriate watch. So that was thrown on on, I believe, Sunday, and I've kind of been rocking it ever since. So it fit pretty well with this episode. So I'm still rocking that. Looking good, as always, on Zach's uh, seatbelt strap. Very good. Um... In the bottle, I actually brought up two ones, Blade and Bow, always a very good, good one to have, and then some Maker's Mark Private Select that I've had for a while. Actually, from our friend uh, Chancellor, his family, the Gallensteins. Oh, very nice, sweet. Yeah, one of their barrel picks, bought up in Kentucky. So yeah, that's uh, my two options for the drink and what I've got on the wrist. Very cool. I'll go ahead and go next because Buzzy's got a little bit of a soliloquy he's going to go on, I think, about his uh, his wrist check. So <laughs> um, I, you know, again, with a the theme, I've been wearing, so I, this morning, wasn't sure what to throw on and wasn't sure what we were going to talk about today, although I had an idea. But I had on my Brew Retromatic earlier today, which hadn't worn it in probably a couple weeks. You know, it just, it's, I go, it takes a while to cycle through all of them. But no, I just, that watch is so much fun. But given the theme of the episode, I needed to change it up. So I, of course, pretty obvious what I have on the wrist. I've got on the white and black Seamaster Professional. Uh, I have it on an SF2 olive drab green strap from our buddy Zach. Um, I like this combo. It's not quite as good as the Stealth Bond on this. Might be going back on that. I may, given that the movie comes out this week, maybe rocking this watch a little bit more. Just changing the strap every day just because I've got a bunch of NATOs that it fits on. So we'll see where we go from there. Uh, but that's what's on the wrist. In the glass, uh, I'm being a little bit extra tonight. Um, I made myself a apple slider slushy with Old Forester. So a few weeks ago, we went quote-unquote apple picking. I say that because I think we missed the part or they picked all the good apples off the tree and they let you kind of go pick the bad ones off and just leave them on the ground. The kids had a good time pulling stuff off the tree, but we did not take home any of those apples because they weren't looking good. We did, however, then go to their at Hidden Valley Orchard, go to their store. All the good apples had been picked. You could buy them there. We bought those. They are also known for, um, they do an apple cider slush, which is fantastic. Um, so my wife had been making those just very, just a bunch of ice, bunch of apple cider into a single shot ninja, like bullet style, mm-hmm. uh, for the ninja mm-hmm. blender. Um, and instead of all apple cider, you pull out about two to four ounces of apple cider, put in two to four ounces of, uh, old forester, hit that sucker for literally like two and a half seconds. Cause those things, good God, if you ever put a, if you were ever able to get a finger in there, um, it would go away. Um, yeah, that's what I'm drinking. It's delicious. Um, so yeah, I'm being a little extra tonight, but that's uh, shaken, ground up, um, kind of like uh, was it in the Living Daylights? Is that the Timothy Dalton one where Benicio del Toro goes through the rock crusher and comes out as a red streak? <laughs> I feel like it's that one. It's either the Living the Daylights or what's what's the other one that he did? The, the one with the night diver in it. I can't remember. Um, 
both of his um oh license to kill maybe it was i'll have to look it up those are the movies i've seen the least oddly enough just because it's hard to find them but anyway i digress buzzy bring us home all right sounds good okay in the glass tonight i'm i'm not being extra i'm being very very standard very non-extra Got a uh, Great Lakes Brewing Company, Burning River Pale Ale. The basement of the Great Lakes Brewing Company, uh, basement of their brewery in Ohio City, is probably my favorite place to drink beer in Cleveland. It is, uh, that brewery there is super old, like uh, Elliot Ness used to, to drink there. And the basement is just this tiny stone uh, like cellar with a small bar and a couple of tables down there. Very cool hang, though. Not not crazy at all. Uh, Just a good place to hang out with your friends. Highly recommend. On my wrist, as you might have guessed, the, the Seiko 55 Fathoms the SNZH 57 black and gilt uh it's been on my wrist non-stop for the past week since i've gotten it uh i mean i don't sleep with my watch on and yeah i do have to take it off of my wrist to to change the straps Uh, right now it's on a uh, barton band silicone elite that i'm borrowing from spence thank you and you know it's a it's a heck of a great watch. I had forgotten how much I loved it, so I wanted to do something big um, to commemorate that. So of course, I, I pulled out my copy of uh, the Aeneid, uh, the Robert Fagel's translation, uh, obviously, and realized that the obviously. beginning yes clear. obviously <laughs> that's the one to get. <laughs> yeah, I realized that the beginning paragraph actually worked pretty well uh, with this, so without further ado, I'll read you from the, the actual correct translation. Watches and a man I sing, an exile driven on by fate. It was the first to flee his collection upon the plains of Dayton, destined to reach the southwest Ohio hills and Cincinnatian soil. Yet between many purchases made both cheap and expensive, thanks to Instagram's cruel confusion such nonsense occurred, before that Seiko 5 could return and bring its gilt dial, sword hands, and rattly clasp to Cincinnati, home of the podcast that discusses both whiskey and watches. Well done. Very well done. Thanks. I'm trying to uh, trying to class it up, I guess. I, honestly, uh, in, in all seriousness, the giant gilt markers on the dial with just the tiny loom plots blows it out of the park. Um, the the domed hard lex crystal shiny bezel insert are great. Adds there's so much detail. Um, stubby lugs they're really low on the case and the case profile itself is just very round uh, I, I in general i despise anything besides a metal bracelet uh, on watches especially watches of a certain size um, this is bigger than a lot of the watches in my collection and yet it's utterly comfortable uh, and i much prefer it on rubber or on a canvas uh, versus the bracelet uh, it also has the correct five logo, aka not the S, uh, sideways S that I don't care for. It's not perfect. Uh, the the bezel action is mushy as can be. It has a push pull crown, which is weird for a thing that looks like a diver. Although, yeah, it's got a hundred meters water resistance. It's fine for most things. That push pull crown that can actually. Whether that's a downside or, or an upside just depends on your uh, perspective. The clasp is rattly because it's a cheap Seiko. 
and the bracelet is uh, pins, so it does squeak on occasion, even though I really like the the look of the, the bracelet. Um, but yeah, I'm really, really impressed uh, with it. The, the guilt, I cannot un- overstate how those markers, how there being so much gold guilt on those markers just just completely puts it on the next level. Uh, it works really well. I mean, I've got just a plain yellow gold wedding band. It works fantastically with that. Um, and yeah, it, just measurable wise, it's bigger than a lot of the stuff that I have. It works perfectly fine with rubber, with canvas. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm tickled. I love this thing really do honestly buzz like before you even had like brought that watch up i had never i i'd heard of the seiko 55 fathoms and before i honestly thought it was just a seiko mod that people did mm-hmm. which i think there are seiko 55 fathoms yes there mods. are but i didn't know there was an actual model that's like obviously nicknamed the 55 fathoms and just for being a base seiko i really dig the watch you're right that guilt looks fantastic on it yeah and it, it's it's so fun from the side. I really, I really like the case design. I mean, it's, it's just it's straightforward. No, no crown guards. It's just mm-hmm. it, it did such a good job. And even, you know, even though the um, measurement, the uh, movements, obviously nothing special. You know, they still have a little display back on there, which. That gets that gets neat points. I mean, they were able to do that without making making it super thick because they're only rating it for a hundred meters. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like it on this Barton Elite because there's just that little bit of texture on it, um, so it's subtle and it just it um, is only apparent after first glance. I really like that. Um, it's great on the great on the canvas too. I mean, both of those have quick release spring bars. So, and, I mean, you know, Sunday I switched them out midday. Everything should be on quick release spring bars. Come on, get with the program, everyone. So I was gonna say this, and I, had, I thought about it earlier. It's still a little too warm for this strap. And that's kind of one of my knocks on this type of strap. I think Barton has started to make them either full sail cloth or with a rubber backing. I think kind of like what the actual 50 Fathoms looks really good on. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a 22 millimeter that I actually bought from our buddy Pandolfo, Barton um, sail cloth. But it's leather backed, which to me kind of mm-hmm. ruins the whole effect of a sail cloth. It's like, oh, cool. It's like, oh, leather. No, mm-hmm. Why? Um, but it, as it gets colder, it, it'll, it'll work just fine. Like I said, I do think Barton and some other companies have started making that with a rubber backing, which would work quite well, uh, given the overall aesthetic you're going for. But I, I've been, I would venture to guess that that would look really good on a, if you like it on canvas, my guess is you'll like it on sailcloth. For sure. For sure. Yeah. They, something to, what's well, so funny because like the first time. When I bought it, I fully intended to do the mod. And there were a couple of different dials that uh, Yabokis had. And I just, yeah, I kind of liked it as is. And I just, indecision, I never, never went with it. And then I set my sights on, I think it was my Brightling. It was just selling things that didn't get as much risk time. But uh, not making that mistake again. No. Well, I mean, you know, speaking of of letting watches go and regretting it a little bit, you know, if anyone's got a Hulk that they're not wearing and, you know, you know, feels obliged, you know, I I guess you could say I regret selling that one. You know, if anyone wants to, you know, let one go at, at a reasonable price. Right. Obviously, it worked for Buzz with the 55,000. I mean, might as well try it on the on the on the Hulk, right? You know, <laughs> put that out there. <laughs> Probably not going to have the same success. 
but probably not. You know, figure even worth a shot though. You never know. <laughs> Shooter's gonna shoot. Exactly. You gotta take that shot. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Well, we might as well get into our fresh forum finds. Um Spangler, you wanna start us off? <clears throat> I would love to. So before the episode Spence told us that we uh should be going Bond theme, which was appropriate. I figured I would go a little bit off the rails. I guess not too off the rails with my choice. I didn't want to go the normal Seamaster or Submariner route. I had to go somewhat of the uh, obscure variety. And I landed on one that you can actually buy. And actually, this brand did a reissue of this watch. God, I want to say two years ago, perhaps. And it was on... I believe, Sir Roger Moore's wrist in Live and Let Die. And it is the Hamilton Pulsar. Yes. Nice. One of my more favorite oddball watches. Super cool. You're going for that vintage, just LED, 70s. Can't go wrong with it. And of course, I uh, am the king of eBay. So was able to track one down on eBay. $500. Honestly, I don't know what they go for new. I could just be like making something up and saying that's a good price, but I feel like five hundred dollars for that watch. I want to say they're eight hundred if they're brand new, but of course, like you're gonna walk into a store and get a significant discount on one of those. So you know, honestly, maybe just go to a store those, here. Those are close to like eight hundred, I think, brand new. Yeah, yeah. It's, I was thinking eight hundred is yeah. Um, so I feel like maybe go to the store, see what kind of discount I can get. Maybe go that route versus going pre-owned. Although you might save 150, 200 bucks maybe going that route. So that's what I've got. I feel it was a really cool oddball piece that you wouldn't expect. But granted, you know, James Bond did wear a couple other quartz analogy styled watches too. But I believe this was the first one. He did. He had... I think he had a Seiko that had the like ticker tape that came out of it in um, mm-hmm. one of them. Yep. He also had – that was the one with the parachute on the skis with the Union Jack. He also had uh, – our yep. buddy Mike Stockton had it on Risk Game or Crying Shame, the uh, the quartz tuna that he wore in A View to a Kill, which you know didn't mm-hmm. sneak under the cuff of those suits. And I think in one of those he also wore like the Seiko um, – like their version of the Speedmaster that had the like four pushers, the like quartz chronograph. I think he wore that one yep. in one of them too. So Roger Moore got all the fun pieces, all the fun movies, all the fun lines. You know, <laughs> that was uh, that was his Bond's style, as it were. So um, anyway, all right, Buzzy, what have you got? Well, I did not follow the formula that closely, but at least the uh, brand that I picked has provided a watch to the franchise. I did not pick a Breitling Top Time. I thought I, I would have pegged you for that. Yeah. That's what I was thinking to pick too. No, I uh, I actually found a uh, Breitling Avenger that episodes and episodes ago I was saying how I was looking for a uh, a Breitling that was essentially like basically my existing watch but like amped up a little but not to the ridiculous size and apparently uh the uh the avenger 43 millimeters is the one that i was looking for 43 a little bit wider than most watches uh it's only 12.2 millimeters thick though so i think it would sit just perfectly the most important thing is it has all of the breitling uh, design elements that I adore, uh, even if other people don't care for them. It's got rider tabs. It's got that angle cut professional bracelet. This one with polished center links. And guess what? I like those too. At me all you want. Um, this this uh, one is the model A seventeen three eighteen. Uh, so at least, uh, you know, at least their model numbers are relatively short and easy to remember. 
even if nobody spouts them off like like other uh, ones, but at least they're not like Grand Seiko difficult to keep track of. Uh, th this one's going on the um, Reddit uh, watch exchange for 2,650 American dollars. And looks like it's, yeah, he, he said that uh, it's been purchased recently, uh, gray market, and just what, kind of a catch and release uh, for him. So, seems like it's uh, in pretty good shape. Uh, apparently, somebody sent, sent a chat, but it doesn't say that it's sold. So, you know, maybe hustle in there. Offer him 20 more bucks, see if they buy it. That's not going to happen. But, um, but yeah. I don't know. I like it. I'm not playing by the rules, and that's okay. Yeah, I dig that watch. It's, um, it's definitely Breitling, but it's not over the top. Early 2000s Breitling. Right. Yeah, it's it's got all the things that I love about, mm -hmm. uh, about it. And, yeah. That I like, even though like the the uh, super ocean steelfish are giant. Like I don't know, they they still somehow fit just fine on my wrist. I like those too, but yeah, this one kind of it's not extra. You know, it's just just about right. Nice. Well, so you didn't take the bright league top time, and I wasn't going to. But then I clicked on the link to the Gruen Precision that is the OG Bond watch, although it's the wrong dial color, it's black. The first watch he is actually wearing in the opening scenes of Dr. No. Um, that one's sold. So, my backup is a 1960s Breitling Top Time with a cushion case. It is gold-plated, but it is the Panda Dial with an orange seconds hand. And it could be yours on, I believe this is on Watch You Seek for $2,500. Um, really cool cushion case, panda chronograph, just, you know, not exactly like the one he wore in the movie, a little bit of a, a slimmer case, not the big kind of thick, chunky one, but just a cool watch. I believe that was also used in Dr. No as the Geiger counter when he was going to Crab Key or Crab K, one of them. Yep. But uh, yes. So that is uh, that is what I have. You know, it's kind of sticking to the the OG, as it were. So pre Submariner, pre ill fitting NATO strap, um, all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, so that's where we're at. Uh, got a movie coming out, which is cool. I'm excited for it. Um, but it's been a while. There's, I think, this is probably the longest gap between watch release and movie premiere you know we were kind of talking about that before the episode started um that watch was released in december of 2019 which is funny because the original production schedule had they not changed directors screenplays whatever would have put this movie out november of 2019 so the watch may have actually debuted after it made its debut on the silver screen i can actually remember reading a couple of articles, one on Fratello and one on Hodinkee, where the CEO of Omega invited, I believe it was RJ, Waco, and Ben to Italy to see the day of shooting with the, the, the Aston Martin and the machine guns and everything like that. We've all seen it in the trailers now for the last, like, two years. You know, been waiting <laughs> for this movie to, to make its way out. Um, so that was where RJ saw the watch for the first time. That was, I think, over the summer before the movie was supposed to kind of debut so that was even a year prior to that so we'd seen the watch we already kind of knew what it could look like um but some things things that have happened since then uh we've obviously had a global pandemic we've had an election we've had an olympics that were also delayed by a year and they still managed to come out um we've uh we've start, we started a podcast this podcast is actually younger than that watch which is kind of funny to think about. We haven't really probably even talked about that watch that much on the podcast because it debuted prior and the movie has also not come out yet. So it's mm -hmm. kind of funny that this is probably the first time we're going to talk about that specific watch a little bit. Um, 
and yeah, it just it it's been a crazy couple of years, and we're finally gonna get to see the movie that um, is the reason we have the brown dial, aluminum, fully loomed bezel, slightly larger no date on a mesh titanium bracelet with the Ministry of Defense logo on it, Bond Seamaster. Uh, which I think it's a cool watch. I've, you know, what's funny? I've as many times as I've seen it at RMP, I've never actually tried it on on the mesh. I feel like I need to do that next time I'm in there, just because. It's it, to me, it's interesting, in that it they actually went with like, like strap holes in the mesh, so I'm I'm curious as to how the fit on that would work. Like that's you want to talk about like no micro adjustment other than that. That's one that either one of those holes fits or, or it doesn't. <laughs> and that could, I don't say that could make or break it, but that could kind of make or break that watch. Oh, big time, big time. And, uh, especially considering that you're paying a premium for the titanium for the LE, um, that would be a big let down if, if you couldn't get it just right. Um, I think it, just pure looks wise it is by far I would say the best Bond LE ever it is utterly tasteful it does not have uh, 007 tacked onto the counterweight of, of the second hand or a little Walther PPK spinning around or any of the other really on the nose stuff that they that they tend to go for uh, somebody told told the designers here to like just inhibit your worst tendencies towards excess and produce something that's memorable and beautiful but not too on the nose this thing delivers it I mean it's like would I actually get one uh, I mean if I had to get an LE a Bondelli. This is the one, without a doubt. But yeah, I've never worn it. I, I don't know how the titanium um, actually wears. We, we've talked about this on the podcast before. I kind of prefer prefer the chunk of uh, stainless steel over titanium in most instances. So that that might put me off, but. The, the Fotina is just right, just perfect, perfect. And the Ministry of Defense arrow is, like, just all you need. I'm really, really, really impressed uh, with this watch. And the loom shots are sweet. I mean, Fully they are on all of the... always good. They are on mm-hmm. all of the 300Ms, but pretty sweet. It's not fully loomed on all the 300Ms. Well, the dial and like the fact that they've got the different color on the minute than yes. and the hour yes. hands, like that's always a rocket. Yeah, Buzz, I feel like you uh, sort of just hit it on the head there. I feel like that watch is pretty good. I've only tried it on, unfortunately, on the uh, like you spins the NATO, not the mesh. Really wish I could, but alas. Last time I was in RMP, they did not have it in. Hopefully next time when I come up in uh, December, they'll have it in for me to, uh, I guess, fond a little bit. But honestly, the one gripe I do have about that watch is just make the bezel ceramic. I feel like if it's Bond, yeah. I feel like if the, if it's, you know, not even that, not even if it's Bond. Bond, it makes sense to keep it aluminum just with the whole rugged theme. You don't want it shattering. But for the price of the watch, I feel like ceramic may have been more of the move. But, you know, that's nitpicky. I love it with the aluminum, too. I'd still buy it if I was in the market for that watch. Wouldn't second-guess it at all. I like... So the funny thing The funny thing about that is, on the new Seamaster 300s, they've moved to a hardened, anodized aluminum bezel as well. And I wonder if it's easier to do the loom than in the ceramic. I, I don't know, but they've done a a mm-hmm. hardening treatment. I don't. I can't remember if I've read about it on this one, but I know they do it on the new Seamaster 300s, which is interesting. You know, it, it takes away some of the shine. It makes it more matte. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing I think, you know, in reading about this watch as well, 
and having had it on wrist, that brown dial is also aluminum. So I think the whole idea about this is having not seen the movie, but understanding the premise, he's retired, he's on a beach, this watch could age, you know, I mean, that's kind of one of the things a lot of collectors lament is, you know, all the modern materials, they're designed to not age. So like, mm-hmm. you can't really go out and buy a watch that's going to patina. I think fitting with the theme, it's like, oh, he's got a, a tropical version of the Seamaster that will never age. Although all the OG Pierce Brosnan Seamasters with their aluminum bezel inserts have faded nicely. Um, so that's something to think about. But uh... Yeah, I, I think that the key with the aluminum bezel here is just to be able to make it nice and matte. Um, mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I'm of two minds because if you have some hardening treatment to prevent or or at least you know minimize the amount of scratching, to me that would be just about perfect. Because yeah, I like everyone else. I I do love um, the ability to just like prevent wear. Uh, on the bezel i mean sometimes bezels wear nice but like when they get all scratchy they just look rough and rough is not what your almost ten thousand dollar limited edition watch should look like yeah i um kind of wish they went with a shark mesh i prefer those to the tight milanese weight weave that would have been interesting. I feel like it would have been interesting. I don't know if it would have been very Bond, though. Yeah. yeah. It, it's funny. I mean, Buzz, you like this one a lot. I still... And we've talked about this in other episodes as far as new watches that are similar to my favorite kind of LE or limited production watch, which is the one from the previous movie, Spectre. I feel like that, to me, that 300 with the the 12-hour bidirectional bezel, the only downside to that watch is, especially for the money, it only comes on a NATO. It does not come on a bracelet. I'm pretty sure that if you bought one of the bracelets that fit the older 300, you could fit it to it, and that would be really cool. Um, But, like, that watch, to me, that's the one that I, I keep coming back to as just, like, I think that might be my favorite my favorite one that since since omega started the relationship the new omegas that they've come out i think that's the one that is uh see what i did there see what i did see what i did <laughs> daniel craig has been james bond so long that he originally wore an omega that had the wave dial and aluminum bezel he didn't even wear the matte dial blue one that they had in between the watch that i'm wearing and the watch he started wearing Daniel Craig's James Bond can drive. He's been <laughs> announced as James Bond since 2005. It's insane. It's been a while. So the funny yeah, thing it's... about the funny thing about that is is the podcast that I kind of got into to get into podcasts. Uh, our buddy, he doesn't listen to this, but our buddy Mike, who's now down in Nashville got me turned on to the James Bonding podcast. And if, if Matt Myra or anybody who knows Matt Myra is listening, Matt Myra and Matt Gorley are the two hosts there. Uh, Matt Myra is a bit of a watch guy through the James Bond movies that he likes. So it'd be cool to have him on. If anybody can get us in touch with him, that would be awesome. But that podcast is what got me into podcasts, which probably eventually led us down this role, 88 episodes, you know, you know, into it. But... I started that podcast late and the premise of what they were doing is they would have a guest come on. They would all watch one of the movies and they would kind of go back and forth and meet in the middle. And I eventually caught up to the point, even though it was two years old, that they got to like, I was waiting for new episodes to come out. Like just with scheduling and other things, they couldn't get somebody to watch a movie and then talk about it. And these are, if you're a James Bond fan, go find James Bonding it's all over the place. You can. It's fun to listen to the ones after they watch an old movie. They're built up for the new ones coming out. They started that. They got introduced to each other and started that going to go see Skyfall, which is nine years old. Skyfall is almost a decade old. That was only two movies ago, folks. Um, 
just kind of insane to think about how long. And I know it seemed like Roger Moore made so many movies, because he did. I think he made seven, and he was James Bond for a very long time. He was pretty much a senior citizen when he gave it up. But just kind of one of those weird things that Daniel Craig's been James Bond since, good God, Buzzy, since he was almost our age. (laughs) And he's now north of 50. Hard to believe. I mean, right? Like, he was in his late 30s. We're mid-30s right now. Like, he... (laughs) So what you're saying is I still have time. You still have time to be named the next James Bond. No one knows who that's the secret is. It's Buzz. That's right. So um, I hope to get at least us to 100 episodes before I have to go start filming. Well, I mean, you know, I feel like I owe it to you. Yeah, no, I would appreciate that. Get us to 100 Uh, (laughs) episode 26 in the James Bond franchise, Um. because I'm not going to have a lot of time on set. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you understand. It takes a long time to film these movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at least you'll get some cool watches out of that. Are you, would you stay with with Omega as the uh, as the co brand, or would you? Where would you go? Where would you take? What would your What would your James Bond watch be, Buzz? Seiko Five. Fifty Five Fathoms. Yes. <laughs> Way to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. What about you, Spangler? I feel like I don't know the original heritage, but go in a slightly different way. And I feel like Tudor would probably be the best way to go about it. I can see that. What about you, Spence? I don't know. So, I know there's no way you get Rolex back. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It wasn't like those were product placements. The, the 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 one that he wore originally, and I don't know, maybe they were. I don't I don't know what happened with Roger Moore because Roger Moore wore a couple. I think Dalton wore one. Dalton wore the Night Diver, which was very, very interesting. He had a Tag Heuer Night Diver, the original PVD one on a black bracelet in one of those, which was, yeah, you know, which is kind of crazy that they came out with that again this year. Which is, I actually really like that watch. There's one thing about that whole aqua racer line that bugs me what do you guys think it is it's the like polygon shaped bezel no i you know i kind of thought about that but it's not it's not overly it's not too different from this like the way it's formed it's a little bit more polyagonal and not like a scallop that isn't what bugs me what do you think bugs me let me find this watch real quick One thing, and it is glaringly obvious once you see it. <laughs> Had it up just a second. It's almost like the fully loomed dial, right? Yep, yep. yep. There's one okay. thing. Uh, night Diver, Night Diver, where the hell are you? Is it something that, that's specific to the Night Diver or the entire range? No, it's it's it, all the new Aqua Racers have it, and it just drives me nuts. <laughs> Oh, the um, the hour markers being octagonal. Nope. The date window. But specifically, something about it that if it didn't have one feature, it would be just fine. Cyclops. The weird outline. No, the cyclops at six o'clock. You can't. That's a belly button on a on a watch. <laughs> Who puts a belly button on their watch? <laughs> that's what it is. It's a round Cyclops at 6 o'clock. Come on. Can you imagine how goofy this watch would look with that? It has a 6 o'clock date. Don't put the Cyclops on it. It's terrible. Okay. It's the one thing. Is it internal or or external? Like, I mean, can this... So I know that you can remove them. You might be able to, and that might be... supposedly with heat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it is an external Cyclops on the crystal at six o'clock and i'm like that's the one that's the one thing i can't i can't deal with one thing that oh you're so so, you're talking with a new night diver yes not the original i'm sorry yeah Uh, an og you know one that would be kind of cool that'd be a neat like throwback james bond watch okay gotcha gotcha they do have a clasp with toolless micro they do on the rubber they do and it's on a rubber which because it's and, you know, a coated watch makes sense that they didn't do the full bracelet. That new one's really not that expensive either. I think it's like thirty three fifty, which 
It's a good looking watch. It's a little big, yeah, forty three, but yeah, black and white rubber goes really good with that. Yeah, true. I mean, I feel like I I, I read the Hodinky review of it, and Danny Milton's the one who covered it. I feel like his wrists are my size or smaller. Just have this feeling. I think he actually mentioned that he's got like smaller than seven inch wrists, so that that I think mm-hmm. that would work. But um, yeah, no, it just it is kind of funny, you know. This is the first. Well, I mean, we've only had the podcast for not quite two years, so this is the first movie that the James Bond movie that came out, and yeah, you know, obviously, it's clear I'm a fan. Um, in a weird way, obviously, Goldeneye and Pierce Brosnan was the Bond growing up. Obviously, I played the video game well in advance of ever seeing any of the movies, which made a lot of the set pieces in the video game make a lot more sense once I had played them <laughs> or seen the movie. Um, but, like, yeah, I mean, even in the video game, like, it, you, when you pause it, it's, it's the Seamaster. Like, it pops up and it's the – and in some ways, like, I know the original one that he wore in Goldeneye was a quartz diver. In some ways, you know, given all the tech that Q is packing in that watch, it makes – a lot of sense that it's quartz rather than mechanical, you know. You but have I mean, that is the laser. The oh, it really laser helps with the laser the power. Uh, in the in the one movie where they're in the avalanche, I believe that is that's the the one with um, oh god, Denise Richards is the she is she cannot play a scientist. Although in fairness, <laughs> in fairness, the guys who wrote that script ter- just one. She's she's not great in it, but two, the dialogue that she had to deliver did not help at all. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I think in one of the scenes, like there's an avalanche, and inside the little bubble that he creates with his coat, he turns on this light. Again, you can't do that without a battery in that watch somewhere. So, um, just like a Par Weber on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> Throwback to an episode. Um, but yeah, I mean that that video game, the franchise. You know, everybody always gives Omega some crap about the LEs, and you know, oh, it's seven thousand. It's not an LE. It's like I heard it on. I think it was Fratello talking. Like they make seven thousand of them, and they could sell twice that many. Like it just it's it's something that resonates, and I think speaks to people who are semi into watches, or maybe it started the collecting bug. That is kind of what started it. That combined with having. My first child kind of that that was kind of the the thing that made sense to mark the occasion as an heirloom so it just it's it's just kind of funny that this has come full circle for me now i know spangler you said you're a, a decent fan of the movies but you haven't played the video game be older yeah be yeah, older come on dude <laughs> i mean sorry but uh, can, can i just live out my 20s in peace here guys okay i'm, I'm slowly getting to the end of them i i just like to like relish them while i can here but no, we were we were talking before the podcast, and I was Spence had brought up in Buzz too that they were big fans of Goldeneye on the N sixty four, and I had played a version of Goldeneye, which I I thought at the time was PS one, but I guess thinking back now, and Spence and Buzz also chimed in, it was probably the PS two version of Goldeneye, because this is probably around like oh three oh four ish, um, which kind of lines up with that date. Which is not the actual original Goldeneye. No. It was they used the name, but not any of the storyline, not any of the right character. Yeah. And Which, like, they, for me, bust. Mm-hmm. For me, I don't really uh, like know that much about the game. I just have heard that. I guess playability wise, it was a very iconic in terms of like how you like like first person. I think it was like a first person shooter type mm-hmm. game, right? Mm-hmm. It was like just the one of like the cool. It's almost like Wolfenstein esque first person shooter and you know i don't really know much about the the gameplay the story all that kind of stuff but from what i've seen it, it it's one of those cool retro games it follows the movie pretty well yeah. and i think i can remember reading an article i don't remember it we were talking about a different movie as well earlier and one of the oral histories that the ringer does i want to say i read it on the ringer but i could be wrong but essentially knowing that the video game had the potential to be as big as that movie that they, they, they gave the production company for the video game pretty much all access to everything as they were filming Goldeneye, which is why it mm-hmm. turned out, I think as good as it did. Mm-hmm. But, oh man, I, I just remember getting that game 
and you just play it forever. And the multiplayer was unbelievable. The multiplayer, yes. you can only play it with four people, but good God, you know, you know, you and three friends just you could play that game for hours. Every hours. It was not a sleepover unless Goldeneye wasn't involved. There's never been a sleepover since. There was never a sleepover before. The highest form, the ideal, ideal activity for sleepovers after crushing some pizza and pop is playing just a ton of Goldeneye until your eyes become square to the exact outline of that television. And if you really wanted to be a jerk, you pick odd job because then all your friends would have to aim down at you mm-hmm. to the point where that was a pretty standard thing that nobody could pick odd job because, you know, you were like completely being a jerk and making it harder on everyone. The, uh, the, if you really wanted a challenge, there were a couple of settings you could pick. And this one was always fun. Um, license to kill. Always a fun setting because it was pretty realistic. It wouldn't take you 15 shots to kill somebody. It would take you one. Yep. Um, Unless you had a really weak gun and then maybe it was two. And that was, I think, the first. We've all seen that that pyramid of, you know, or that pie chart of the reason I died in Halo or reason I died in Call of Duty. And it's 99, it's 1% my opponent was better than me and 99%. F and BS, <laughs> which is a phrase that I think applies to Goldeneye uh, with your friend who was good at playing with proximity mines or during uh, during License to Kill. But if you wanted a fun challenge, you could pick some fun weapons there. And you do License to Kill with either slappers only. Slappers, oh gosh. Or yeah. throwing knives, which throwing knives have a very different trajectory and aim point than a bullet in that game. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that uh, those were always fun. Um, but yeah, slappers only ended up being a lot of strafing and running around in a circles while holding down the trigger button, hoping that one of them landed. <laughs> <laughs> And hoping that the other one didn't land on you. It just, if you had it with three or four people, that was always fun one-on-one. But man, if you had three or four people, you know, whoever died would always come back and find the other two. And then you had to like figure it out on like, do you back off? Do you keep going? Do you go and you get them both? (laughs) Do you run into the fray and accidentally get slapped again? Um, Just, yeah, that game was an absolute ton of fun. But um, yeah, I... I think we were talking about watches. And I, did I did I have one? Did I pick one? I think I, I don't know if I necessarily would go with the night diver. I kind of went that route. I mean, we, I've heard yeah. some people say that you don't necessarily need a, a, a dive bezel. I absolutely disagree with that. I think you need as as a as a as a secret agent, you absolutely need some way to time something. So, yeah. Um. So I'm just going to assume that uh, the the 55 Fathoms isn't available for licensing. I I would actually say Chronograph would be handy. Not just because it's a way to time things, but also you could uh, have like multiple button presses remote detonators stuff like that you know kind of like the uh explosive pen in in goldeneye mm-hmm. oh uh boris i'm invincible um completely being a dum-dum and setting off i i think that that's the way to be i'm kind of with you i mean i i mean if you're sticking with a certain brand they make a very iconic chronograph however given the characters Sorry. what the the Satana? No, 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 no. We haven't talked. We should talk about that. We should talk about that here in a second. But um, I was saying, sticking with the current sponsor or the current brand partner, Omega, they do make a very iconic chronograph. However, given the character's rank as a commander in the Navy, I don't necessarily know that that watch is waterproof enough. <laughs> um, I don't. I mean, you could you could be really on the nose and go with a Seamaster or a. Um, Planet Ocean, or Planet Ocean Chronograph, which you know kind of checks all those boxes. Those suckers are so massive, though they would not necessarily. I mean, 
the the nice thing about the three hundred M or the three hundred professional the Bond watch is that it works with with more formal attire. It works with sleeves. It can slide under a cuff a little bit easier than say a uh, Planet Ocean. You know, maybe you use the helium release valve as a as a dummy pusher. Um, but I'm thinking like you know you could go with. I mean, you've got the IWC Aqua Timer that's got a pretty sweet chronograph that I think works a little bit better. You could. I don't think I don't think you'd want anything with screw down crowns or screw down pushers because that kind of defeats the purpose. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yes. there are a few there are a few chronos that have two hundred meters of water resistance that I feel like they could fit the bill. And then you do have that new Omega um, America's Cup that has the little slide pusher. Again, I think that thing's just way too thick, though. But, I mean, there's a few options. Um, the Saytona would be an interesting one. And why don't, since we're, you know, we're getting close to an hour, we should talk about those new Seiko releases. We should transition. You know, James Bond did wear a couple of Seiko speed timers in the Roger Moore era. So Seiko did drop a couple of chronographs. They did a two-register automatic speed timer, which... Honestly, I'm not that big of a fan of it looks okay, but like two registers, 15 plus thick, it just that that isn't the one for me. The 38 millimeter one that looks a little like a Daytona and it has the quartz chronograph movement in it. Mm-hmm. Ton of fun colorways. I technically I like not technically. I prefer the khaki with black subdial version. I think that one is really good looking. What do you guys think? Well, I think Spencer right the uh, well, first of all, I'm just not really the biggest fan of bicompact chronographs. I really like the three registers. I don't know why, just always have been. And for being 15 plus mils thick for a bicompact chronograph, which I, it's, I'm assuming it's automatic, right? It is. That one is, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. It just didn't really do that much for me. But you're right. The smaller sized. So it has a ceramic bezel, correct? Ceramic bezel, and I believe solar powered quartz. Yep, solar powered quartz, and I think it's under thirteen millimeters thick, mm-hmm. right around thirteen. Yeah, yeah. and it's thirty-eight millimeters in diameter. Mm-hmm. Those are some pretty sweet dimensions, right there. It's pretty sweet. I have to say, I agree with you. That's that's going to be the one I'd want to go for. Although. Uh, for my taste, is it a little bit, I, I don't know, reaching of Seiko to sort of jump on this ceramic bezeled chronograph trend? And even though, like, we, we've brought this up before in the past, right? Like, you know, Rolex does not hold the end-all be-all when it comes to ceramic chronographs. They just happen to hold the most popular one. So, uh, I don't know. Is it Seiko sort of pandering to, like, what people like these days? Yes probably i don't want to think it is but like let's be honest here it most likely is do i still dig it absolutely would i buy it uh, probably not i think it depends but for I can me appreciate on the, it. i think it depends for me on the price point yes agreed because that watch that movement those measurements gonna wear like a dream mm-hmm. i don't know buzzy absolutely what's, what's your over under on where it kind of is make or break for you I've got a number. I want to see what your number is. I don't know. I mean, it's a pro specs line, uh, either that or like a DMX special edition because the X on the dial and how, like how X going to give it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would I would really need to get it in hand to to have any better idea. So the one thing that I don't care for on the uh, Saytona is how the six o'clock subdial is smaller. I get why it's they just did a little that. bit smaller, yeah. yeah it's mm-hmm. just enough, just enough to put me off a little bit. Um. I don't know. I've I've got a hard time placing placing this just because I think with the the solar movement, that's going to keep the prices. People aren't going to want to pay up as much for that. I'm to me, 
if this could be had for around or less than 500, I think it makes a ton of sense as as a watch. Honestly, I know she doesn't listen. There, there's there's a solid chance that a 38 millimeter chronograph with this and 100 meters of water resistance and a quartz solar movement, I could see that watch being a fantastic watch for my wife. <laughs> like like no joke, just she she wears the crap out of the G Shock that I got her. She loves that. Yeah. Oddly enough, she she busted out her Tissot today, uh, mm. which was fun. Mm. I don't know why she did. Um, but like I'm looking at this, like that that watch at that price point with with a timer, with you know, I mean, just honestly, I if the if if it's at the right price point, I don't think they've released pricing it, but if it's around. If if the list price is at five hundred, you can maybe snag a small discount on it. You get it for under five hundred. I think that's a heck of a pickup. I mean, I'm not usually a big quartz watch guy, or but like I get the appeal of solar. My first two semi nice watches were Citizen Eco Drives, which you know really nice to like. Buzzy says just you pick it up and you can wear it and it's it's still going. Like I think. I think I could see wearing one of those as kind of a grab and go piece. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a pretty slick. As long as the price is right and you're not like thinking, well, I could have had a, you know, I could have had a, a a new Willard or something like that for that money. I think it's as long as it's around turtle money, I think we're good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think it needs to be away from the, the one grand mark. Um, well, the good thing there is at that price point, at that price point, you really you really can't say, oh, I can have a mechanical chronograph for that. Because there are very few – I mean, I, I can think of Laurier and a couple other ones with the Seagull movement in them. But there aren't very many mechanical chronographs for for $1,000 or less. Right. There just really aren't. So The uh, the, the Bicompax Auto, I, I find it ghastly. <laughs> I, I – I don't care for the lugs uh, and the super wide center links on that bracelet are just, they look even wider because those lugs are these like tiny toothpick afterthoughts and the dial. um, I mean, the dial itself is is pretty good actually, Um, but I don't care for the just the the fixed bezel on it looks odd in conjunction with the odd lugs and the crown is 150% too big I mean it's I I don't know what's going on with that but it looks gigantic Um, so I don't know It, it could be a thing that in the flesh like it doesn't really matter. Or it also could be something. I think really what's mostly throwing me off is the lugs. So, I mean, I could, if I just kind of use my imagination, I think it, you know, it might look pretty sweet on, on a strap. But, yeah, I just, I don't care for the bracelet lug thing. It just, it's a head scratcher for sure. So the thing that I find very interesting is they did the limited editions, one of which I own, of a couple of watches that had like so that six one three eight that mine is kind of a callback to was a panda, a, a dual register panda. But they did it with three registers. Only two of them were black and they're offset. So you did a a three register. So they they dropped one. So now they have this other automatic movement. It's like, could you could you find a way to rotate that and make that version the pay? like? Why didn't you guys just do do that? And then my question is, and maybe this is making me hopeful. So previously, you know, two years ago in 2019, when when my watch came out, they did a three register chronograph. Now they're doing a two register chronograph. Maybe in another year or two, you could get a single register chronograph. Maybe maybe put that register at six o'clock. Give it give it an internal rotating sixty minute bezel. 
maybe or maybe an exterior bezel that is I don't know I think I think blue and red are really cool colors and even though it's a little weird I think you could make a really cool yellow dial to go with that and then put it in a case very similar to the one that I have and put it on a pretty cool bracelet no what do you know we'd have a new pogue <laughs> yeah uh, I I really like that that approach to the sub dials you know the whole like Number one, because two is not a winner, and three nobody remembers. Yeah, yeah. Just, let's just keep losing the subdials until no, we get the right style. number, Seiko. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I will say the one thing about this watch, and it goes with how I sort of collect my watches. If you really want that buy compacts, Seiko, right? The only reason you would want to buy that watch was because that was the watch that, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say beat. But in theory, beat out VL Primero mm-hmm. for the first automatic chronograph movement. Yep, true. So if you want to relive that watch and have that sort of history on your wrist, that that's really the only reason I would ever see going for this. Because, you know, like y'all mentioned, it doesn't look good. But history-wise, history it's kind of cool. It is. I mean, I'm with you there on the on the history behind it. Although at that point, and probably at the price point, go find a 6139, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just go find one. I feel like... The price point's ridiculous on it. Well, on the new one or the old one? The new one. I, I mean, I haven't seen the price on it yet. Do you have Do you have a price? Because um, in the article I saw, it didn't have pricing out yet, or the, the posts. But I have a sneaking suspicion. It looks suspicion. like... Go ahead. I'm seeing... You. I guess that's a euro sign. I I don't know. It looks like it's three thousand euros. That seems about right. Because I mean the the one that I have retailed for north of three thirty five hundred. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's what I'm. Uh, that's what I'm seeing for it. Yeah, it's just not. Just make a new pogue. Make a new pogue. Yes. One, what everybody wants. One hundred times that. New? I, the new Pogue will come out. It'll come out eventually. I'm almost certain of it. Okay. Does new Pogue come out before they make the Submariner Keller? No. Ooh. Really? You, th- no. you, th- you think they're going to make the Sub-Killer first? I don't think they're ever going to make a Sub-Killer. So you don't think they're ever going to make a new Pogue? Are you, are you saying that the... What are you trying to say here? That the Pogue is a, is a Sub-Killer? No, no, which one comes said, out which first? Which is going to come out first, the new Pogue or the Subkiller? And you said no to the new Pogue, which meant we thought oh, you had the Subkiller. No, no, no. The, the new Pogue will come out first. Okay. Yeah. Which, so, I think you're since right. I didn't answer, I don't know. I, I, I've since I, we'll, we'll tie this back to the original thought because that that Subkiller brought up an idea for me, Buzzy. So we talked about we were talking about like what watch if we were to continue the franchise and maybe not do an Omega, what watch would you pick? And I'm wondering, I know it's probably not high end enough, but I feel like something from the SLA line from Seiko could make some sense. Like a 62 Moss, maybe even a Willard, a Marine, like the Marine master 300, I think is too big, but like a Marine master 200 could work. Mm-hmm. With the stoplight hand and the dive timer, I think that could be useful. Although the other one that I am thinking would be very interesting, because I think they might be all about this, is the brand that Evan is wearing right now. And I wouldn't go Black Bay 58, though. I wouldn't go all the way back. I'm going to go kind of to the novels. I've read a couple of them. They're not that great, but they're just it's interesting to see, to, to read, like, the original Fleming. Um mm-hmm versions of the stories Ian Fleming himself wore an explorer oyster perpetual kind of depending on when he had it when it came out and that's what he described the literary character as wearing is like an oyster perpetual again I don't think Rolex would ever go for that being in a movie uh, because it would they would want some sort of official sponsorship I think I think that the 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 movie would and I don't think Rolex would go for that I just don't think that's their bag anymore However, that might be Tudor's bag. And to that effect, I think what you could do is you could throw a new movement, a new movement that's in your Black Bay 58, 
in a Black Bay 36 size case. Mm-hmm. Throw a in-house movement in a no-date Black Bay 36 time only. Or maybe for the movie, don't go all the way to 41. Come out with a Black Bay 38. Time only 38 millimeter case. Not quite the same as the Explorer, but uh, I think you got some options there. So those are kind of that's kind of where I'd, I'd go. I'd either go like Marine Master 200, or you know SPB 143 ish, something like that, or a uh, or a Tudor Black Bay time only, no bezel, Explorer style. That's where I'm at. Oh, so it is. Honestly, though, if, if we're gonna throw one more last oddball in here, and if we're gonna because I like I like where you're going with for Tudor, I think that's would be a good route to choose from. But if you're gonna try and like choose something that also you know may kind of sell, kind of like hits the nose on the head when it comes to the watch market too, and you know obviously this watch is not around anymore, but it'd be really cool to see James Bond wear a Steel Sports integrated sports watch, right? I, yeah, I I feel like the Tudor North flag would be kind of cool. That actually wouldn't be a bad one. Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, I, I feel like the Tudor North flag. It's like it's out there enough, but it's also rugged enough, and you know it can also harken back to those kind of like oddball James Ball James Bond watches too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Maybe obviously like change up the dial a little bit, but case bracelet, all that, all the certain aesthetics of that watch keep it i I think it'd be kind of cool i mean you could use that buzzy to your point you could use that power reserve indicator on the dial for a lot of different things absolutely that would be interesting is that watch like that watch is titanium isn't it no that's the pelagos that's the pelagos yeah i believe i believe it's made of steel it does have a ceramic bezel on it too does which is always good. It's rugged, but it's a matte ceramic. Rugged enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Scratch. Rugged enough. Anyway. Well, that's been fun. You know, at this point, when we record next week, one of us will at least have seen the movie. I think you probably make that two of us. Yeah, probably just two of two of us. Uh, I've got to yeah. finish up Squid Game and all sorts of stuff. Wait, are you playing it or just watching it? Uh, definitely just watching. <laughs> Had to ask. So far, I'm impressed. Well, anyway, well, we figured we we covered that. We talked some new watches. It's been a little bit of an off-the-wall episode, but uh, glad everyone could join us. And I guess next week is episode 89. We'll see where that takes us. Catch everyone later. See ya. See ya.